It's a, it's a good day, and it's a great day to be in God's house, man. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. I've been in a little mini-series on uh, a single word that Jesus spoke uh, in the Gospels. It's translated in, into four English words. It's, be of good cheer. Uh, and we've been studying the five statements that Jesus used when he made that uh, declaration, be of good cheer. But I'm, I'm deviating from that today, all right? I'm not going to do a be of good cheer message today. You say, well, well, why are you doing that, Brother Will? Well, it's because the Lord told me to, all right? And, uh, you know, it, it, preaching is kind of a funny thing, and, and I think you would agree with that. It, it's funny when I preach, but, uh, you know, the Lord speaks to me every time I, I read the Word and study, and, and I, I get off on these series, and I really enjoy preaching series. But this week... Uh, God led me to this passage, and, and it wasn't an option. Okay? It's not an option. This, this had to be preached today. For whatever reason, God wanted this spoken in our church today, and so I gladly preach from Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. This, this same story is also found in the Gospel of Mark, uh, very similar. Both Luke and Mark give us different details of it, but what a great story it is. The day, the day Jesus went to church, Ooh, man. Let's read about it. Luke chapter 6, verse 6. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him, that is Jesus, closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And so he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at all of them, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Lord, I, I pray that, that you would speak to us in this room, in your house. Lord, we're here today, and I know that you're here, where your word has been read now I pray that that same word would be spoken into our hearts that are open and receptive to what you have to say to us today. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Many of us are born classifiers. That is, we look at people and we stereotype them or classify them or pigeonhole them. I, th I think we're taught this as, as little bitty babies when our, our parents are wiggling around on our toes and they classify our toes. This little piggy went to market. <laughs> this little piggy stayed home. And then we grow up doing that. Even, even as children, we do that. Uh, when we moved to Abilene, Texas, I was in, the, uh, in junior high school. And I'll never forget that first day they took me to my class. And uh, a real pretty girl was sitting right in front of me. And before the class started, she turned around and looked at me. And she said, well, tell me, are you a doper or a roper? 
I had no earthly idea what she was talking about, but evidently that was the classification of people at that school. You were either a doper, you smoked dope, or you were a roper, you were a cowboy. And I didn't have on my cowboy boots that day, so I said, neither. So she turned around and declared to the rest of the room, he's a nerd. <laughs> we classify people. You know what? We, we even do that right here at church. We do that for those who are new members or those who are long-time members. We, we classify between staff and laity, between tithers and non-tithers. And then we classify you according to how often you show up. Maybe you're a one-time-a-weeker or twice-a-weeker. Some of you are three-times-a-weekers. You know, I mean, you just show up all the time. I understand there are many different artificial distinctions that we can use to classify people right here at Kavanaugh Church. But perhaps the best classifying question we could ask ourselves this morning is this. Why am I here? I want you to think about that. Why are you here today? Because not everybody who shows up at church comes for the same reason. We all know that. For out of this gospel story in Luke's gospel and Mark's gospel, it appears that there were three kinds of people at the point of motivation in the synagogue in that unnamed Galilean village that day. There was one man who was very aware of his own disability. Something in his life had gone radically wrong. But yet he was at church that day. Then there were a number of people who came with an intense sense of superiority. They came to criticize. They came to observe rules. They came to keep the traditions. <laughs> and then there was one, the Lord Jesus, who came with the single motivation of releasing God's power to make people whole for anyone who needed it. Or wanted it. I got to thinking, could it be? Could it be that those same three groups of people still show up at church today? Some of us are here this morning. And we are very aware of our own personal disability. Something in our life has withered. Just like this man's hand had withered. It's paralyzed. It's dried up. Others are here today keenly conscious of their own superiority. When you walked in the room this morning, you look, I'm better than them, I'm better than them, I'm better than them. <laughs> and then, yes, the Lord Jesus is here. Present with the simple desire to trample down any tradition necessary in order to get God's whole-making power to those in this room who need it the most. You see, church, when the Lord Jesus comes to church, he comes to confront those of us who are here for the wrong reason, and he comes to help those of us who are here for the right reason. The presence of Jesus means both conflict and healing. And this story finds Jesus in conflict with the religious establishment of his day. The Pharisees cared more for institutions than they did for people. They were there to protect their power, to keep their traditions, to control the situation. On the other hand, Jesus cared more for people than he did for institutions. 
He came for the single purpose of giving God's healing grace and mercy to people who needed it. (laughs) So would you indulge me this morning and just come along for the ride as we look at these three groups of people who still come to church? Can we do that together? Number one, some people come to church who are very aware of their own personal disabilities. In 1982, after 17 years of absence from the concert keyboard, Leon Fisher sat down in the Baltimore Symphony Hall and played his first concert in nearly 20 years. Two decades before, he had been declared the greatest concert pianist of his generation. But in 1964, a strange sensation, a tingling, started in his forearm. By 1965, he had lost control of his hand, and by the end of that year, he had lost control of his fingers. They were useless. He tried everything. He went to every hospital, every doctor. He even tried hypnosis and psychotherapy, but nothing helped. And in the midst of his depression, he consigned himself to those few pieces you can play with your left hand on the piano and a life of teaching piano. After 17 years of living with this disability, he had a friend who had a similar problem who went to a Boston hospital, had a surgery that was successful. Well, you can believe that Leon went to that same hospital, had the same surgery, and there in that concert hall was an overwhelming emotional response of a standing ovation as a man who had had a withered hand now had a healed hand. And a man who had had all of this music contained inside of him was now able to release it and play it with both hands and all ten fingers. I can tell you this... The man in our story in Luke's gospel could certainly identify with Leon Fisher. (laughs) This is an amazing story, the man with the shriveled hand. But understand, this man in Luke's gospel stands for all of us who are here today with withered lives. His name is not given. No location is mentioned. Everything about this focus concerning this man is about one thing. That is, he had withered. He had atrophied. Something had turned in on itself, and he was helpless to do anything about it. Now, he had not always been this way. The word suggests that this is not something he was born with. It happened during his lifetime, and through a terrifying process, he had watched his hand retract and shrink. Dr. Luke tells us it was his right hand. Tradition tells us that he was a stonemason by trade. And when he lost his right hand, it ruined his life. There had been a woeful watching of the withering. And this paralysis had finally left him with this grave disability. But there he was. A man with a withered hand... In God's house, on God's day. And it just begs the question, (laughs) how many of us here today in this room are here with something that has gone radically wrong in our own lives? A part of us is withered. Something inside of us is dried up. It's atrophied. 
Some of us know what it means to watch ourselves decay and not be able to stop it. Oh, once we were whole, but then something began to wither. Maybe it started withering in our moral life when we started watching things that we shouldn't even be looking at. Or perhaps it was an addiction that grabbed a hold of us that won't let go. Maybe it's a bad attitude that started in our heart and now it's consumed everything in our life. Maybe it's a withering in our our own home, in a relationship with a loved one, a spouse, or a child. Maybe it's in our marriage. Maybe it's, it's a withering that's gone on in our daily devotions to God. Oh, at one time, man, we were so on fire for the Lord. We read our Bible and we prayed every day, but you can't even remember the last time you opened your Bible. And like this man, we've watched our life as it's withered. And we are here today in this building with the sense that our life has shriveled up. And you know it. I mean, I mean, right now you're wondering, how did he read my emails? The focus is on that. You see, church, like this man, when that is our life, we live a downtrodden life. and We even come to church downtrodden. It's interesting, this man is silent, and he is passive throughout this entire story. He says nothing, he does nothing without being told. He, he has lost initiative in life. He is just sitting there, watching. He didn't cry out like blind Bartimaeus, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't climb a tree like Zacchaeus. He didn't reach out and try to touch the hem of Jesus' garment like the woman who had an issue of blood. He didn't even want to be thrown into a pool of water like the man at Siloam. No, he's just sitting there. Like some of you here today, you're paralyzed to speak or to act in the spiritual realm. You're just waiting but the good news is this man was in church that day. And the better news, Jesus is here as well. And he wants to give you healing grace. Like this man in our story, we may come to church in desperation. Hey, this guy must have had some vague, half-conceived notion, really, that the only place he would actually find help was in God's house, where God's word is given to God's people. And he knew that the closest thing to hope in that unnamed Galilean village was in that dusty little synagogue in that remote place. And so he was there with hope, however small it was. <laughs> it may be just like you. Deep down inside of you, there is a vague notion. Somehow, God might be able to do something with you today. Church, however we come, however you drag yourself in here, understand that God has the ability to make us whole. When Jesus said to him, stretch out your hand, you can 
There had been hundreds, no, there had been thousands of times that he had tried to stretch that hand out before, but I want you to know he had never tried to stretch it out in the presence of the Lord of lights. And for the first time in his life, religion connected with life. And he stretched out his hand, and it was made whole. Understand this was altogether unrequested and undeserved. There was no more merit to this man than the thousands of other people in his day who had disabilities as well. But you know what? God acted towards him in his grace and his mercy. And that is the only reason any of us in this room have been healed and made whole. Because of God's grace. Because of his mercy. One of the good things about being a preacher for 33 plus years is that I have had the privilege of seeing literally hundreds of people bring their withered, paralyzed situations to church. Maybe not expecting a cotton-picking thing, but then all of a sudden during an invitation they experience the grace and the power and the mercy of God and they move towards God and they stretch out their brokenness to him and he makes them whole good news is that can happen to you today you know there were some other people at church that day because some people come to church projecting personal superiority some people come to church with the only insight that they are better than everybody else in the room <laughs> the pharisees were that way they were the power people they they treasured the traditions and they retained the rituals really their driving motive was to protect and control their power and their position they listen to me they did not come to church to worship god they didn't come to church to see God, nor did they come to church to look at the need of the man with the withered hand. And most of us in this room would immediately say, that is not I. You're not talking about me, preacher. <laughs> but let me be honest with you. There is a little bit of Pharisee in most of us. And a whole lot of Pharisee in some of us. And try to understand with me, church, what plagues most churches today, what is wrong in most churches today, is the same thing that went wrong in that little synagogue 2,000 years ago. It is filled with a whole lot of people who have lost their awe and wonder to Almighty God. They don't show up to church on Sundays to worship God. They show up for themselves. And they could care less if God does anything or if He's even there. Because it's all about them. Sometimes we come to church with the wrong motive. We may come more for institution and religion than we do for worshiping God and helping people. The Pharisees placed tradition above compassion. The rabbis and their oral interpretation of the law had come to say, you cannot heal on the Sabbath day unless there is a clear threat to human life. 
I don't know about you, but that's an unusual statement to me. You, you can't make anyone whole on God's day unless life is threatened. Really? <laughs> you know, there are some situations that are so insane, they are almost beyond comment. Do you know what I'm saying here? I could give you a dozen illustrations just like that. <laughs> Transgender bathrooms? Come on. What in the world are people thinking? Well, they're not thinking. Get me off that. Point is, there are some situations that are so insane, they are beyond comment. And to me, what's happening in this story is beyond comment. They all admitted that Jesus Christ had the power to heal. They didn't dispute that. I mean, my lens, here was a man, Jesus, who was replete with God's power to heal. They knew he could do it. They admitted there was a man in their congregation with a withered hand. They saw him. They even knew that Jesus wanted to heal him. You know what? They should have been sitting there with anticipation saying, Come on, Jesus. Do it, man. Come on, Jesus. Touch him. We know you can. Come on, Jesus. They should have been dancing in the aisle. But instead, they were clamping down on their silly religious rules. And church, listen to me. It is the crassest misunderstanding of God and God's house and God's day. That in God's house, on God's day, God wants to do anything that is necessary to make withered people whole. (laughs) Now, I don't want to sound ridiculous this morning. (laughs) But I think God could really care less the whole lot of stuff we do here at church that we put a whole lot of stock in. God couldn't care less if we have an order of service or if we even keep to it. I'll step over here when I say this because I know it's dear to many of you. I personally really don't think God cares too much what kind of songs we sing. Hymns, praise courses, peppy songs, whether we do them out of a hymn book or off the screen. You know, I I really don't think that matters too much to God. Tell you the honest goodness truth, I, I really don't think God cared too much if we even picked up offering plates and threw them like frisbees across the sanctuary. Don't do that, but you know what he is concerned about? He's concerned about making people whole. Their motive went wrong with their whole viewpoint. They were more interested in outward rituals. Jesus was more interested in inward reality. And this motivated them to do anything they had to do to kill Jesus. Mark tells us that they immediately plotted with the Herodians against Jesus, how they might destroy him. And if that wasn't so tragic, it would be funny. Why? Because the Pharisees hated the Herodians. They wouldn't give them the time of day. But you know what? They hated Jesus more. You see, Jesus embodied a total threat to their whole world. They lived for legalism. Jesus lived for liberty. And I wish that I could stand here and tell you after 2,000 years, all of that is dead and gone. But after 30 plus years in the ministry, I know otherwise. It ain't. You see, when we come to church with the wrong motive, it leads to the wrong method. 
We come to make observations rather than to receive grace. How do I know that? Look at verse 7. They watched Jesus closely. They came to church to see that everything was done right. They comprise, listen to me, they comprise the way we've always done it around here committee. You know that one? Some of you have appointed yourself to a committee like that. And out of their observations, they came to question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? That's the conclusion they came to. Now, it's really interesting to me to listen to people talk about church. It's, it's interesting for me to listen to you talk about church. What's even more interesting is to hear people that I don't know talk about church. I, I really perk up when they start talking about their preacher. <laughs> Have you ever listened to someone talk about church? Are they always carping about the way things are done around here? Or do you ever hear anyone rejoice that God is actually here doing something? <laughs> the wrong method always leads to the wrong message. Their message became, how little can we do here instead of, how much can God do here? Church becomes confining rather than freeing, restricting rather than liberating, limiting rather than enlarging. And Kavanaugh, listen to me. The greatest sin our church can commit is to do anything that keeps the grace of God from meeting the need of human lives. It would be better for me to topple over this pulpit and for us to turn every tradition upside down than to stand in the way of God's homemaking power getting to people who need it the most. And that means jettisoning any and ever pseudo-sanctification that stands in the way of that happening in my own life and coming to grips with the reality of the power of God. Let me tell you, if I were you, if I were you, I would rather have somebody stand in this pulpit and say, I done seen it! <laughs> who's actually seen something of the power of God than to have somebody stand here and sanctimoniously say with perfect grammar, I have seen it who ain't never seen nothing of the power of God. And really for me, that's the bottom line of what's happening in our story in Luke chapter 6. Some sanctimonious somebodies trying to control the house of God. So there was a man with a personal disability. There were some sanctimonious, somebody, religious snobs there. But number three, Jesus shows up. Do you know Jesus comes to church? He comes to church to make us whole and to set us free. Good news, Jesus does come to church. Even when we don't deserve it, he comes to church. Where his word is expounded, he comes to meet with us. Jesus went to church that day. And it's funny to me to really see this big picture wise. Jesus went to church that day even though the teaching was poor. He still went. 
It's interesting to me, Jesus went to church that day even though he didn't get a whole lot out of the message. What's amazing is Jesus went to church even though he knew more than the preacher did. (laughs) And Jesus even went to church when he himself was not even wanted. He still went to church. He was in God's house on God's day. Why? It's a pretty good question. Because he knew that as poor as it was, it was the absolute best thing going in that little town. All the people who are out today playing or doing whatever they're doing and not in church, excusing it because of everything that is wrong in the church today, miss that point altogether. I'll be the first to admit this church is not perfect. There is no perfect church. Sorry, (laughs) we're not. But in the big scheme of things and in the picture of eternity, this is the best thing going in town today. Jesus goes to church. But before... You gush, oh, great. <laughs> How great it would be if Jesus came to our church. Before, before you say that, you need to know that when Jesus comes to the church, he comes with questions and observations. Really, he questions whether we really understand God's intent for his church. Are we here simply to guard the rules? Or are we here to dispense God's power to people who need it? His question in verse 9 Very simple. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save lives or to destroy them? You know, that question that came out of the lips of Jesus was so simple, a child could answer it. Right? But the THDs of his day could not. Not only does he ask questions when he comes to church, he also makes observations It says in verse 10, and when he had looked around at them all. I take that very literally. I think Jesus made eye contact with every person in the room that day. He observed them. He looked around at every one of them. I love Mark's account of this. Mark says he looked around at them with anger. Do you know Jesus gets angry? (laughs) He was mad that day. Being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. And church, we would do well to remember as we meet together week after week that he's still here observing us. That may make you a little bit uncomfortable, but I got some good news for you. Now, Jesus comes to church to do two things. He comes to church, number one, to confront our impossibilities. It's interesting to me, Jesus asked this man to come to the very center of the room and do precisely what this man could not do. He said, stretch out your hand. The guy couldn't do that. It was was withered. (laughs) He He couldn't stretch it out. And you may wonder, was Jesus mocking the man? No. Understand this, when Jesus comes to church, he causes us to face the most impossible thing in our life. And he tells us to do what we cannot do. It may have to do with the habits that you can't break. It may have to do with the guilt that you can't let go of. It may have to do with a bondage that you can't set yourself free from. It may have to do with an that you can't kick or an inclination that won't go away. 
He says to us today, I want you to face it. And as you face it with faith, I will give you freedom from it. He tells us to stretch it out. <laughs> and we say, Lord, I can't stretch it out. And he says, you've never tried to stretch it out when I have said to stretch it out. And I'm telling you, stretch it out. And so by faith we come and we stretch it out and we lay it on the altar. And his power pours into our impossible situation and he changes our life. It's his miracle. could happen to you today. Because you see, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes to church, he, he comes to confront our impossibilities. But number two, he comes to church to demonstrate his power. <laughs> Look at verse 10b. Jesus told the man to stretch his hand out, and he did so. By faith, he did so. And what happened? His hand was restored. And Luke goes on to tell us it was just as perfect as his other hand. It was whole like his other hand. Jesus restores without a word or without a touch. Isn't that interesting? Jesus never broke the Sabbath anyway. He didn't examine the man. He didn't touch the man. He simply said to the man, stretch out your hand. And by the sheer power of his will, the man was made whole. <laughs> you got to love that. I mean, you talk about power. Stretch it out. Boom. <laughs> he didn't touch the guy. Here's the amazing thing. He can still do the exact same thing today. Even seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven looking down on us. He can still do it. When we stretch it out in faith. Faith. 